Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you have any questions whatsoever about any of these products, don't hesitate to reach out. They're all about helping you live a better life. So give them a call, 405-458-9699, and ask any questions you have. Uh, in regards to how these products can benefit you on a daily basis. Plus, we're saving you 15% right now on your online order. When you order online, abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Discount code COLBYSHOW for 15% off your online order, abotanicalcompany.com. Discount code COLBYSHOW. Plus, they have easy and safe pickup. They have a drive through so it's a very efficient process with Artisan Botanicals. Aaron Davis, what's happening today? Not much, just uh, trying to stay warm. Enjoying this beautiful weather that we've all been looking forward to. Beautiful. You okay? A wise woman once said, the cold never bothered me anyhow. (laughs) What? (laughs) I think it's a Frozen song. Oh, I've never seen Frozen. Uh, Neither have I. I literally just had to Google that to make sure it wasn't something I was just making up. Uh, I have uh, a, I have a kid, so I probably should have seen it, but we've never nah, we've never done Frozen. That's okay. Look, some <laughs> movies you just uh, you miss out on in the uh, the viewing party. Are you uh, are you? Fo- I was about to say photographing, uh, photographing in this uh, in this cold weather. Uh, I'm probably gonna go out later this evening. Uh, I might go go downtown tonight and see what I can get into. I was going to wake up early this morning, and then uh, my alarm went off at 6.30, and I was like, mm, you know what? No, I'm not going to. Yeah. It's going to be like this for like a week and a half. I've got time. <laughs> this is like that time of year where it, it, like as soon as you take off the covers, you know, like you get really cold, so it's really hard to get out of bed. And yeah. I, I literally like go straight to the shower, and it's not even because I'm dirty or anything. It's just literally like cold. to warm up and wake up simultaneously. Like it, that's the only yep. purpose. I just stand in the hot water to like kind of wake up and to not like freeze my ass off. I did the same thing. I literally I got out of bed this morning and went and got in the shower just because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I could stand up and try and make my coffee and just be miserable and cold. Yeah. Or I could just go stand in the hot water for five minutes and then yeah. feel fine. Yeah. I also am better about making like the coffee at night this time of the year. And that way, like it's and setting the timer and then it's all set mm-hmm. to go. Or if I forget to set the timer, at least I just have to go push start and then jump in the shower and then it's ready by the time I get out of the shower. But uh, yeah, there's nothing worse than being like cold and tired and trying to put, you know, make the coffee. Yeah. And, you know, I, I botched it a little this morning and my coffee was cold. So that was pretty awesome. But yeah, I took a shower. I'm warm. I'm ready to go. I'm 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 revved up. I was planning on waking up at six thirty. Slept until eight thirty. Oh, nice. Living a good life. Nice. Yeah. I uh, I hit the snooze on my alarm from about seven to eight, and so I got I got up at eight. But yeah, it was a solid hour so, of of snoozing. You so you you're snoozing every like five to seven minutes for an hour. I think it's like ten minutes. Ten minute increments. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mine's five, so okay. I'm thinking yeah. like I'm gonna hit that thing 20 and I, I usually have about three alarms set so oh yeah for sure yeah i have like i have like six alarms set right so i'm, I'm hitting that thing 60 times probably yeah. the first yeah. one is set for 6 30 which is not the time i'm trying to get up i'm trying to get up at seven so the first one is set at 6 30 and then they're set in increments from seven to eight like every 
every 10 minutes. So yeah. when I say I hit the snooze, I basically shut that, that alarm. I just hit stop on that alarm, and then the next one kicks in 10 minutes later. So, Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, there you go. Yeah, there's not. I guess there is a snooze button on the uh, on the alarm function, but yeah, I just have all the alarms set, so it, I don't have to hit the snooze. I just hit the stop, and then the next one kicks in. Yeah, but yeah, it's. Uh, I have to have that one that goes off like before, just so like I guess for for somehow like even though I know I'm not getting up at six thirty, it's just like that warning like hey you've got some snoozes left, but. Like you're on the the final stretch. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I I don't even know why I set three alarms or four alarms. You would think I would just set one alarm at the time that I know I'm going to get up, and not you know three alarms forty minutes earlier. Right. That doesn't work though. Yeah, I, but I mean, I could get if I have to get up, I'll get up. But I'm like, yeah, I'm going to set an alarm at six fifteen, and that'll get my like. Like body, like thinking it needs to wake up, but then like thirty seconds later, I'm back into like full rim cycle. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's it's like, a weird I'll, thing. I'll have, yeah, and it's not like I have a lot of bed space, so all I gotta do is like roll six inches, and I'm on the floor, and I'm up. Yeah, but I'm just like, nah. I'm just gonna inconvenience my body by making it wake up five times before I actually get up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. You mentioned cold coffee. I I saw somebody tweet yesterday that they love iced coffee, but they hate when their hot coffee gets cold and it's undrinkable. Yeah, I mean, I've, I think that's what's the, pretty. What's common. the difference there? I, I personally don't like iced coffee. I've never had iced coffee. Okay. I just know I wouldn't like it. It's one of those things where like coffee is just a, a hot thing to me. So I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's. I, I guess it's a it's got to be a mental thing, right? Because like cold coffee, you see the ice or whatever, and you're like, okay, I know this is going to be cold when I take a drink of it, and that's what I like. Hot coffee, though, you're yeah, you're drinking it and it's hot, and then thirty seconds later, you take a drink and it's cold, and it's just a mental thing, right? So just the, sh- the shock thing. factor, basically, like yeah, you're just one not, you're prepared you're for the other one, you're not. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know what else it could be, right? Yeah, because to me, like, I, I'm not a big iced coffee fan, but I've had iced coffee, and it's fine. Uh, I prefer my coffee hot, but iced coffee to me is the exact same thing as when your coffee gets cold. I mean, if, if you know, like, I, I don't know. Other than your point about, like, being prepared for it, I, I it's the same thing. Right. And I don't particularly love the taste of coffee anyway, so I like it to be real hot and just burn my taste buds off for about in two, two and a half to three hours so I could just you know, enjoy some hot coffee and wake myself up. I'm not trying to taste it. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't even, I think my taste buds are shot. Like I, I get coffee straight out of the pot. I'm like just tipping (laughs) it back. It, nothing, it doesn't Uh, slow me down whatsoever. uh, I I can't do that. Yeah. You haven't been drinking coffee long enough. Like you're going to hit a a stage at some point in your life where that's not even a factor. Like it just, you can't get it in fast enough. I I am a new coffee drinker. Maybe I just don't have enough going on after my coffee that I need to like just power through as much as possible. Because typically I drink my coffee, you know, watch TV for an hour. <laughs> Hell, sometimes I go back to sleep. Sometimes I drink my <laughs> drink a cup of coffee and just go back to sleep. Yeah, you I mean, you have a nice leisurely morning, right? 
Right, exactly. I'm in no rush most days. I'm just like, hey, yeah. I'm going to enjoy this coffee. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah, yeah. Same for me. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, Our, the morning time's just not, there's no urgency, really. I'm not complaining either. Yeah. It's going to change eventually, I know, but yeah, at some I'm going to enjoy it when I have it. How are you, how are you uh, surviving post-football season? <sighs> um, I was doing okay. Until I saw just a ton of stupid stuff on Bleacher Report with the mock drafts. Now I'm pissed off again. But uh, oh. it's a bummer, man. Super Bowl, I said it on the podcast the other day. Super Bowl is my least favorite game of the year. Um, especially when the game I expect it to be awesome and it's terrible. Yeah. And that makes it even worse. And I'm like, this is the last game of football I'm going to see for eight months or seven, five, six months. This this pile of crap, this is what, I, this is what I'm going home with. Yeah. So... I'm just disappointed, man. Uh, I don't feel like I got a good uh, national championship game. I don't feel like I got a good Super Bowl. just feel like I'm uh, going home just wanting more. A little bittersweet ending to the football season this year. Yeah. I was certainly going for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, uh, but like more than anything, I, I, I think the majority of people just wanted – you know, the, the narrative that, that we had all created for two weeks, the Brady versus Mahomes narrative, I think most people more than a specific outcome just wanted to see those guys, you know, play at a high level and watch those two quarterbacks, like, basically trade punches. And, you know, they, that, that wasn't what happened. I, I think from just a, a stylistic standpoint, this game was incredibly boring based on the expectations that we all kind of set up for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think it was boring regardless. Even if you had no had no expectations, how I mean, how is this an, a fun football game to watch? If you could have played this game in week four, and it would have been just as boring. Let alone, you know, the Super Bowl couldn't have made it any any better. It just it was just completely one sided from the entire for the entire get go from the very beginning. Uh, it just Kansas City just had no chance. I mean, you you were right. Like the tackles being out for Kansas City was just an insurmountable difference that Kansas City couldn't overcome yeah. despite Patrick Mahomes still even though he put up terrible numbers he probably or you could argue it was probably his worst game of his career still amazing he still looked incredible I don't think that he uh had anybody come out of that game watching it and saying that he was any less than what he was coming into it but I mean what are you gonna do I mean they dropped so many passes yeah the tackles could like they, they couldn't do anything they allowed more pressures I saved it. Let me let me let me pull it up. I saved the stat because it was kind of mind blowing. But uh, while I'm looking it up, is this I the mean, more pressures than any team has given up in the postseason in, in a decade? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah. Just crazy. And it's and who and who? I mean, I think it was definitely bad game planning by Kansas City, in my opinion. The fact that they just never really seemingly like kept extra guys in to protect on pass plays. Yeah. It was always like, it seemed every down, it was just a five lineman with a two out two, two tackles, just getting wrecked by, by Shaq Barrett and a great, uh, Todd Bowles like game plan. He was bringing blitzes from everywhere. Like I remember there was one play where they blitzed two corners off the line. Like, I mean, what are you going to do? If right. you're only bringing, you're only leaving five in that are protecting the, the defense is blitzing two corners. I mean, you're you're screwed. On and top I think of just a, on top of the edge rushers winning basically every snap. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I I thought that uh, Kansas City just came in. Yeah. 
not prepared. It was shocking because I that was one of my keys to Kansas City winning was I just thought that their coaching staff would have them better prepared. They just weren't. Agreed. And they didn't adjust. They didn't adjust during the game very well, and it just wasn't a fun game. But yeah, it was uh, it was shocking. Like I I. Tampa Bay ended up scoring exactly how many points I thought they would. Same as you. Like we yeah, both we had, both had 31. 31. Yeah. Yeah. So we were right there where we thought they would be. I just never could have expected that everybody around Patrick Mahomes would be so bad on offense. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think it starts with Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. Um, you know, we both talked about it last week. We both gave them a lot of credit for how creative they are in their game plan. And, you know, like, it wasn't a secret that the tackles were going to... That was going to be an issue. Uh, I, I don't think, like, there's no way around looking at that matchup and losing, not having Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz against Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett that that wasn't going to be an issue. But I also didn't think that Kansas City was just going to try to run their offense as if there were no issues and no personnel missing and the fact that... How about this number? Here's here's a stat for you. In their dropback situations on Sunday, 92% of the time, Kansas City had five guys in pass pro. So basically, you're five offensive linemen. 92% of the dropbacks. Basically, it's crazy. I mean, they never gave those guys help is what that means. Or and and the fact that they never, I mean, they never tried to get the ball out quick. And and I, I think the biggest X factor in all of that is the fact that, you know, even even if you're not going to give any help to the offensive line, and obviously there's not enough time to throw the ball vertically, I think we all kind of expected you would still at least be able to get the underneath stuff, and Travis Kelsey would still be a problem. And the fact that Levante David basically smothered him the entire game uh, also took away your underneath options. So, like, Kansas City just had no bullets in the chamber, if you will. Yeah. I mean, I guess... You would have to assume that during practice leading up to the game that those tackles were doing just fine. They must have been, the yeah. Kansas City defense. Yeah, I mean, why else would you go into that game saying, you know what, we don't need to bring extra guys into block like these two guys got it. They had to have been borderline dominating in practice leading up to this game against those yeah. Kansas City edge rushers. Like, I, just, I can't imagine a scenario where they looked at them and said that we don't need to give them help, especially when you're playing the Tampa Bay defense, which is – it, it's not like this is the first year that Tampa Bay's defense has played well. They were one of the best defenses last year. Right. You know, just Jameis Winston couldn't stop throwing interceptions, so it kind of screwed them in the long run. But I don't I, – I'm shocked, honestly, and because we've just seen – I mean, three years in a row. I mean, Andy Reid has been one of the best coaches in the NFL for two decades. But for three years in a row – we have seen that offense just be seamless game. Every game, just perfect game planning, like changing it up week to week and just like being creative and innovative and just all that just out the window uh, on Sunday. I don't know if the the stuff with Britt Reed played any part in like Andy Reed's like mindset and focus in this game. But I mean, that was definitely not a good sign that things were going to go well for Kansas city when you're uh, the, the, the son of the coach and, who's on the staff as well, you know, almost kills two kids in a car accident because yeah, he was drunk. Like, it's just not a good sign to set up for a, you know, Super Bowl Sunday. But I, even with that, I was shocked that the fact that Kansas City didn't score a touchdown. Right. Unbelievable. Yeah. A streaker got into the end zone before Patrick Mahomes did. <laughs> Have you seen the, the photos and the video of the guy? Like, 
Obviously, they didn't show it in the broadcast, but it's making the rounds on on the internet. I have. Did you? Okay, so there's a there's a rumor floating around, and I so hope it's true that uh, that guy put fifty thousand dollars on a plus seven fifty odds that there would be a streaker. I did. I did see this rumor. I don't. I have. I don't know that it's confirmed or anything. But yes, I, I, I did I see have, the rumor. I haven't seen it confirmed either, but. Well, worth it because he paid what like six hundred dollars to post bail to get out, but he wants three hundred and sixty thousand dollars if it's true. So I think a six hundred dollar hit to bail himself out of jail is probably worth. worth is the is money. he a se- would would he be considered a sex offender now though? I don't know. I don't think he ever got naked. Okay. Yeah, I but don't. I, I don't know to what degree you would have to like remove your clothes to get like indecent exposure and then be considered yeah. a sex offender. So I, I just can't believe that they, they, they happened. You would think with COVID and it's a super bowl, there's no way anybody's getting on the field. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess people were too distracted by Patrick Mahomes getting sacked every other play. Oh man. It w- I, I, I said, uh, I've said the last two days, I think that was the best perform, best defensive performance in Super Bowl history when you consider the fact that, first of all, the era we're playing in. Like, you know, this isn't 1970s football. Uh, this is, a you know, an era where the game is uh, created to watch, you know, offenses succeed. Uh, the fact that you're talking about going against that Kansas City offense, not giving up a touchdown, dominating the line of scrimmage the way they did, like, it's... I don't even know what other defensive performance, again, considering the competition with Patrick Mahomes, you would even say is close. Uh, I I mean, the only one that comes to mind is uh, the Giants and Ravens against the, that undefeated no, against the undefeated uh, Patriots team. Oh, OK. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was a good one, too. I yeah, hold that I'd team. To, completely forgot about that, to be honest. I, I think this one is better. But I mean, to hold that you know undefeated Patriots team that scored nine thousand points to fourteen in the Super yeah, Bowl, that's true, and win the game like that's that's got to be up there. But I'll take Patrick Mahomes, although he wasn't healthy. And I in the turf toe report that came out like Saturday night, like that was also another sign that things probably weren't going to go well for yeah. for Kansas City in that game. I mean. Anybody that's ever had turf toe, and I've never had it, but I've been around people that had it, it sucks. Like, it's miserable. And, like, as a quarterback, if you've got turf toe, especially, I don't know which foot it was on, but if it was on his left foot, like, that's, you know, that's going to be tough. Plus the pressure, like, he's just running all day. You saw him limping throughout the game, but just another sign that things weren't going to go well. But, I mean, as good as Tom Brady was in that 50-touchdown season, I think that it's harder to stop Patrick Mahomes. Agreed. In this Kansas City offense because – this, I mean, we saw the two best passes in that game in the Super Bowl this year were incompletions by Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, I mean, I would I would say this has to be up there. I, I think that Giants performance that I just mentioned is up there as well, but I would slightly lean towards uh, towards this performance by by the Tampa Bay defense just because nobody expected it. Right. No, like, there were... But in what's, in, in there's, a, there's a big similarity in both those games. The edge rushers could not be contained throughout yeah. the entire game. And yeah, it was Strahan and uh, OCU Minora, right? For for the yeah, Giants yeah. back then. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then hell, you could go into the next Super Bowl the Giants and Pagers played where it was uh JPP and 
Justin Tuck. Justin Tuck, yeah. And they right. held that. Yeah, they held that New England team to 17. So I, I mean, it's just I think the formula is there. If you want to stop an elite offense, you need elite pass rushing. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. Um, you know, the other ones I I considered. The Ravens uh, only gave up seven points to the Giants back in 2000. Um, you know, I, I don't put that in the same time. level though, because yeah, because it's it's that Giants offense wasn't uh, wasn't super dynamic. Uh, the one that's that's tough to gauge. Number one is because you know it was 1985. Again, the game was just completely different than it is now. Um, and you know the Patriots offense that the Bears faced in '85. They played two quarterbacks in that game. Uh, Tony Eason and and Steve Grogan. Like. Again, I, I, you know, unless you were alive in that era, you probably don't even know who those guys are. So, um, which, and and which is that exactly why I'm saying that, like, yeah, the performance this year is so impressive because of the, like you said, the offense they were going up against. Right. Yeah. The 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 as far as the offenses in 2013, Seattle uh, held Denver to eight points, and that was the Peyton Manning team when the year Manning threw for like 5,500 yards and 55 touchdowns. Yeah. That, that was, was really there. impressive. But even then I, I still like this Kansas city offense better. So. I, I mean, I I've said it before. This is, I think this Kansas city offense is the peak of obviously not Sunday, but like going up into the super bowl. Yeah. I, I, I there was no flaws. If, if they're healthy for sure. But even the tackles being out, I still thought they would win. I still thought they would put up 30 points. Agreed. So it just the fact that they shut down two all-pro receivers. I mean, I'm going to call Travis Kelsey a receiver because he's basically a receiver. Yeah. To shut down two all-pro receivers. and the I know he wasn't the MVP and he wasn't first-team all-pro, but the best quarterback in football in Patrick Mahomes, despite the injury, to yeah. absolutely just shut him down, to shut down their run game. Like, it's... From top to bottom, they just dominated at every level, and on that de- on the defensive end, like the secondary played great. They had a couple of picks, like um, Tyreek Hill just couldn't get any separation. They couldn't get him open. The linebackers played great. I mean, the fact that Devin White might be the first guy in the past five years that has been able to stay with Travis Kelsey through an entire game, and then obviously, you know, the defensive line, the edge rushing was, rushers were great, and you know. They yeah. built it's look, kudos to Tampa Bay. They, they built a really damn good team through yeah. free agency, through drafting. Like they've just that team was stacked from t- on every, on both sides of the ball. And the only thing they, they they needed early in the year was a kicker, and they got a kicker that was okay that was good enough not to cost them games. And look, they won what eight games in a row and won the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's wild. And and look, I mean, when you when you consider uh, how they got there, I mean, with beating, and, and you know, in the history books, it's going to go down as br- beating Drew Brees, but uh, obviously this isn't peak Drew Brees. But to just look at the run of beating Brees' Saints, Rodgers' Packers, and Mahomes' Chiefs in that final three-game stretch is, I mean, going to go down as as all-time fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think there's any doubt now that it might be time to start considering having the conversation about Tom Brady possibly being the greatest of all time. Now we can start it. Not before. No. Yeah. What in the first uh, six Super Bowls? That right. seventh? Okay, now before we can Before Sunday, yeah. We, it wasn't really anything to even consider. But 
after the defense didn't allow Kansas City to score a touchdown, now we can have the Tom Brady conversation. It's, it's, it's time to start thinking about him being potentially the greatest. <laughs> I, I do have to so give... Great. Tom Brady was good, but he wasn't great. I mean, that wasn't a... In, if, if you go back to the, the history of the Super Bowl and the great quarterback performances, I don't think that one is anywhere near any sort of like great QB performance list. But to give him credit, I mean, he, he never made a mistake that, uh, you know, allowed Kansas City to get back in it like he did in the NFC Championship. Yeah, I mean, he just kind of, he kind of did what he had to do, right? I Game mean, manager kind of, uh, yeah. Yep, it's, it's just like his first Super Bowl. It, was, it felt a lot like his super, first Super Bowl, you know, other than the fact that, like, he didn't have to lead a game-winning drive. He just, yeah, he kind of just did what he had to do throughout the game to get him in a position to win. And yeah, that, I mean, that defense was unbelievable. I mean, if I if if I could have, I would have voted Todd Bowles for MVP. I think that Todd Bowles was by far the standout in this game. Just, I mean, with that game plan was unbelievable against yeah. Kansas City offense that we 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 haven't seen anybody game plan Kansas City's offense that well. Yeah, in three years. I, mean, I think really you could, think about I, it. I think you could go Shaq Barrett, Devin White, or Levante David, and I, I don't even think there's an argument to be made that Tom Brady deserves the MVP over any one of those three. Yeah, I I, I thought that. I mean, we we've seen this quite a few times where they kind of just hand it to the quarterback. Yeah. In a game, and for the as far as the uh, Super Bowl MVP, yeah, I didn't think that Tom Brady was even close to being the most valuable player in that game. I felt. I mean, I think that you the way that that game played out. And the way that the offensive game plan was looking and the way that Kansas City showed up, I think that you could have had 20 different quarterbacks in that game for Tampa Bay and they still would have won. Now, the mental side obviously plays a big difference, but yeah. like just physically and what they had to do like as far as throwing the football, I think that there's a ton of quarterbacks that could have you could have fit in there and they could have won that game. Yeah. I, I, any, any of the quarterbacks that made the playoffs in the NFC, I think, probably could have won that game. Maybe other than like whoever, you know, Washington started in their game, but... I mean, I yeah, I mean, it's just they were just so dominant, like on every aspect. Tampa Bay was just light years ahead of Kansas City on Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about the, the Kansas City offense failing to make any sort of adjustment as far as pass protection or, you know, how they wanted to run the offense. Like they literally did the same thing for four straight quarters and completely got dominated, never changed anything. Um, but it like Kansas City couldn't get out of their own way in this game also, like outside of even that. I mean, there were drop passes, the bad punts, penalties, just so many dumb mistakes that they made the entire game. And it was just like, it was crazy to me to see a team just look that unprepared and that uh, unfocused. Yeah, and when your punter is punting 26-yard punts, right? again, probably not going to go well for you that day. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah, it's just, nobody on that game, nobody on that team played well. I mean, I I guess you could. I mean, I wouldn't say Patrick Mahomes played, like I said, probably his worst game of his career, at least in the past two years. But yeah, even watching him though, I wasn't like this dude's playing bad. He just couldn't get any help. Like this, I mean, what is he supposed to do? He's doing backflips and throwing perfect passes into the. <laughs> they're hitting the receivers' hands and they're dropping yeah. it. Like I mean, there's just I, mean, I just don't know what else you want him to do. And if you came out of that game thinking that he was any less than the most talented quarterback ever then I think that you're being a little naive and a little ridiculous basing that because it's just, I mean, he was incredible. I yeah. just, he couldn't, I mean, he was hurt and no time and just, yeah, like you said, just no help at any level. Like, sucks, man. I really wanted this game to be good. It was the first Super Bowl in oh, probably 
six or seven years that I looked up the matchup and I was like, okay, I am stoked for this matchup. Like both teams get me excited. Like I just, yeah, I don't care who wins. I just want a good game. And I hadn't had that in a while and it, I, I got let down, but yeah, whatever. I thought there were two massive sequences in this game. To me, the biggest sequence in the game uh, was the score was seven to three. Kansas city had the ball uh, in, uh, in, inside their own 20 Third down play, Mahomes throws it to Kelsey for what should have been a first down, and he drops the pass. And that, that's followed by the, like, 26-yard punt or whatever. And then Brady throws the interception, and then there's the flag, and it gets overturned, and the Bucks get the ball back and score the touchdown. Like, that sequence of events, to me, put Kansas City in such a bad position. And then, obviously, taking that second time out on the final drive of the first half to give Tampa Bay that opportunity to push the ball down the field. And then, you know, again, I'm, I'm in the camp that thinks both of those flags on the final possession were, were terrible flags. But, I mean, you, you have to blame Kansas City for even allowing Tampa Bay to, to feel like they could take those shots with the timeout situation. So, um, I, I, I just, there were so many bad mistakes. But I think the dropped third down pass followed by the bad punt and then the overturned interception to me was the, the biggest sequence in the game that created... The, the space made it 14 to three. And then again, when you can't pass pro and you can't throw the ball vertically and you're down by two possessions and you have to start kind of worrying about speeding things up, you're screwed. Yeah. I mean, we, when Kansas city made it 14 to seven, they kicked that field goal about a minute ago in the first half and, and made it a one score game, an eight point game. I was like, yeah. okay, they might, I think they're going to start getting it rolling now. I think that like, it's a one-score game going into half. There's only a minute left. I think they could come out in the second half, like change up the game plan a little bit, make some adjustments, and I think they could they could take over this game. And then Tampa Bay scores a touchdown before the half. Within 50 seconds, yeah. they scored a touchdown. It made it 20 to six, and I'm just like, this game's over. Like this, yeah. Kansas City is just completely unprepared for this game, and they couldn't. 50, and they they had a minute. They all they had to do was just hold them, yeah, without scoring for a minute. To go into halftime with a one-score game, and it would have felt completely different. I think they, they were they panicked because I, I think the coaching staff knew that there was an issue, and when they were taking those timeouts, I think they felt like they had to erase that deficit going into the locker room. And I, I look, I, I probably would have just sat on it, and you you got momentum, you were able to get the field goal to close the half, and you're getting the ball to start the second half. If if I I probably would have just let it ride out. Uh, and and make your adjustments at halftime, but they you know they decided to take that first time out and potentially get the ball back to try and score before the half, and I didn't mind that one. That was fine. But when it was third and one, like that was the point that it was like you, you should have just you know what don't take the second time out. Like you didn't get the stop that you needed. Third and one is is more than reasonable to expect that they're gonna they're gonna move the chains, and then they're going to have an opportunity because you're taking these timeouts to, to push the ball down the field. I it Just right. blunders all over the place. And if they, you know, it's third and one, and if Tampa Bay gets it, I mean, the, what, you're still going to burn, what, 20 seconds off the clock probably, unless they call a timeout immediately. But at that yeah. point, like, I, it, what, it didn't seem like they were trying to, you know, be aggressive and push the ball downfield. But like you said, then you call that second timeout, and it just kind of kind of opens up the po- opportunities for Tampa Bay. Yeah, I just... I'm just frustrated, man. It's just, I really thought it was going to be a good game. And for Kansas City to, like I said, for the thousandth time, to just completely no-show at every level. Yeah. 
it was kind of embarrassing, but congrats to uh, to freaking Tom Brady getting uh, a slew of people a Super Bowl. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, uh, I'm curious I'm, what the number is of Tom Brady teammates that have won a Super Bowl ring. Oh, it's got to be astronomical. I would, I, I want to see. I, here's what I want to see. I want to see the number of players that have only won one Super Bowl, and it was with Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, here's another. Here's another fun uh, little tidbit for you. So I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. There's only been four quarterbacks in the history of the NFL to make it to two Super Bowls in their first three years as a starter. Kurt Warner, Patrick Mahomes, and Russell Wilson, and Tom Brady. Tom Brady has beaten all of them in their second appearance. Wow. Yeah. The guy's a winner, man. And uh, none of them have gotten back yet. I guess Kurt Warner did. Kurt Warner, Arizona. yeah. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, Kurt Warner. Scratch that from the... Scratch that from the history books uh, on this podcast. Kurt Warner did get back. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll edit that out. Not really. Okay. But, personally, uh, personally, my favorite <laughs> Super Bowl ever, but he did get back. But yeah. still, the for the fact that Tom Brady has done that, like, yeah. I, but I guess it, Tom, it's getting to the point where Tom Brady is like at a, like a, a MJ or like a LeBron level, where there's a statistic for everything that he's done. Yes. Yeah. When you're around that long, you can find. Yeah, you can find about anything. You want to find what? Uh, what has you fired up about the mock drafts today? Because, um, because like football season's over, so now it's it's mock draft season, and I love mock draft season. Let me see if I can pull up the exact mock draft. But it was another Bleacher Report. You remember, like a couple of months ago, maybe a little bit less yeah. uh, time than that. But just like having Justin Fields go like thirteen, right? So I yeah I pulled up another mock draft the other day, and uh, guess who wasn't in the top? Here we go. Guess who's not in the top five? Justin Fields. Justin Fields. And yeah. ha- am I missing something? Has something happened in the past month that has just dropped him significantly down the draft board? I don't get it, man. I I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the what the Justin Fields non-believers uh, see. I, I I think the biggest knock on him is in the past game that he's inconsistent, but like, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, you can, when he is on, he's as good as anybody in this draft and you know that he has that ability. So it's a matter of just putting him in the right positions to allow him to succeed. I mean, there are some guys that we never see that, that high end, that gear, that level of play. And you just hope that they're able to find it eventually with him. It's there. You may not get it every single time, but I'd write, give me that versus, you know, like the, the complete unknown. So yeah, you're a, you're a, you're a shitty team. Are you going to draft a dude that has like a high floor, but a low ceiling? You're going to draft a guy with a high ceiling, right? You draft the guy with a high ceiling. You're terrible. Right. You need something to turn it around. Anyways. So this mock draft I'm looking at, it's on Bleach Report, which take it for what it is. Bleach Report frequently puts out stupid stuff. I, Here's another thing before I get into the mock draft for that I saw on Bleacher Report the other day that pissed me off. They were doing uh, like potential trades in the NFL for like quarterbacks or superstars. I think it was just quarterbacks. Yeah. No, it was superstars. They had uh, Zach Ertz being traded to somewhere for a first round pick and some cash. One first round pick. So first off, who's giving up a first round pick for Zach Ertz at this point? Probably not many teams. 
Is that and a Philadelphia Carson, Eagles fan? Like, just... It's got to be. And then Carson Wentz was also on this list. Also going for one first-round pick. What? Reva- uh, so stupid. You're going to value a, t- a 30-year-old tight end the same as a quarterback, a starting quarterback? Anyways. Uh, so Trevor Lawrence going one in this mock draft. Uh, Sewell going two to the Jets, which... I, whatever. I, I don't get it. Uh, the Dolphins taking Jamar Chase makes sense if they're hanging on to that three pick. The Falcons at four taking Zach Wilson, which, okay. I mean, I, they need a quarterback for the future, but if Justin Fields is on the board, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Cincinnati taking uh, the Slater kid out of Northwestern, the offensive tackle. Uh, the Eagles taking Kyle Pitts at six. The Lions taking Justin Fields at seven. So we've got uh, Justin Fields dropping to seven. And the Jets not taking a quarterback at two. Wow. I I think McShay in his last mock draft, which was, I want to say yesterday, he had Trevor Lawrence going one. I think he had the Jets taking Zach Wilson two. The Panthers trading up to three to take uh, Trey Lance and then the Falcons taking Justin Fields at four. Yeah, and look, I, I've i just seen a lot more of Justin Fields than I have of uh, of the BYU kid. Of, um, Zach Wilson? Uh, you just said his name. Yeah. Zach Wilson, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm playing a little bit of a favorite there, but... And four's okay. I think Justin Fields going four because uh, Miami at three doesn't need a quarterback, and so it, it just you know it doesn't make any sense for them yeah. to take him. But I've seen yeah, enough of Zach Wilson that I feel like I can make a reasonable comparison with Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. Like obviously, I've seen Justin Wilson or, or Justin Fields um, more than Zach Wilson, but I've seen enough where I feel like confident in in making a, a, an opinion there. The Trey Lance thing, that's, like, I've seen highlights like everybody else, but I've not got to the point where I've, like, actually watched full games of him. So, you know, a highlight can make, highlight video can make anybody look good. Uh, so, right. he's the, he's the guy that I just, I don't know where to slot him because I've not really seen anything. I, I've never watched him play, like, an actual game. So, I, the evaluation on, on Trey Lance for me is tough, but... Yeah, I, I, I just I, don't get the Zach Wilson, Justin Fields thing. Give me Justin I Fields think, all day long, zero hesitation. Right. And I, I think you got to consider, too, a Trey Lance. I mean, the, it, it's not everything, but the competition does have to play a part, you know, who who's going up against. I think that we can look at Carson Wentz and, you know, it, it just – who's I mean, obviously was close to being at the peak of, you know, quarterbacks in the NFL a few years ago. I mean, he was – Probably going to be the MVP if he doesn't tear his ACL, and it's just kind of been all down from there. So I, I think that it's a little, it, it's tough to get a good grade on any of these dudes going into the draft. But yeah, I would also, I would take Justin Fields if if, if they're the same to me or if they're close. Why wouldn't I take Justin Fields over Trey Lance? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, I, all you have to do is watch the semifinal game this year, right? Yeah, Justin Fields was amazing. Right. Like, to just, like, you know he has that in the arsenal. Yeah. I, I, I don't... Um, 
Yeah. This mock draft, though, this Todd McShay mock draft does not uh, shape up well for Deshaun Watson getting traded, though. What does he have after the top four? So it was that was the that's the one with the four quarterbacks, right? Yeah, Zach Wilson two, uh, Trey Lance three, and Justin Fields four, and Carolina and the Jets drafting quarterbacks. I mean, those are two of the top, I would say, three to five landing spots for Deshaun Watson potentially. Yeah. How about uh, how about the Russell Wilson thing in Seattle? Does that make Seattle a player I'm, for uh, for Deshaun Watson? No, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any realm of possibility that Seattle would trade Russell Wilson. I think that uh, at least not this year. I think that him voicing his like displeasure and like his frustration is setting up for a potential breakup. But I think they're going to write it out a year. Russell Wilson is. Uh, he doesn't seem like he plays off the cuff very much. He seems very reserved and very calculated. Yeah. So I don't think that he's just going to decide one day that he just wants out of Seattle because they've been good. Like the organization has been consistent for a decade since he got there. The offensive line just, he, I think he just wants more input on decision-making with the team. And if they give him that, then I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be happy. If he if he okays some offensive lineman or pushes for a tackle to come in and that guy sucks, Russell Wilson can't blame anybody but himself or you know, he's he's part of the blame. So and I think I think Seattle would be stupid not to bring Russell in on those decisions. I mean, he's he's a top five quarterback in the league, arguably top three quarterback in the league. And he brought you your organization to two Super Bowls. Like it's you need to you need to bring him in on these things and just look at Houston. All Deshaun Watson wanted was to be in on the decision for general manager. Just let him like let him have some input on the general manager they bring in. They don't, and he doesn't like it, and he's pissed now, and he wants out, and it's turned into just an absolute dumpster fire where if they had just consulted him, then they could have salvaged this relationship, and so Seattle would be stupid not to do that with, with Russell. Yeah. Franchise quarterback. Do whatever you can to make him happy. Peyton Manning made every decision in Indianapolis probably for 15 years. Yeah, it's – I'm not saying that, like, you have to allow your superstars to to run the organization. Like, you you never want to get to that point. But, um, you know, it's just players have more power today than they've ever had. And to think you're going to run any organization like you ran things 30 years ago where – players have no voice, I think is it's just idiotic and, and completely out of touch with the way that you should run things. And I don't think these guys want to be the one that makes the final decision. I think they just want to have an input. Yeah. They just want to be in the room when the conversation is being had. Yeah. I mean, it's just because I I get it. Like, like you said, it's just the way that the sports is these days, but, and I, but I get it. Like you are the star player of the team. If you lose a lot of the blame falls on you. So why yeah. wouldn't you want to be a, a part of the decision-making? If you're going to take a, bl- a brunt of the blame and people are going to send you death threats and all that stuff or losing, then why not try and have a part in you know, who you bring around? And I get it. I think that it, Seattle is way more intelligent when it comes to running an organization than Jack Easterby in Houston is right now. So I think everything will be fine in Seattle. Although it was interesting to see... Uh, Russell Wilson actually being negative about something. 
Yeah, I, it's because he was talking. I, I, I kind of felt like things were have been weird there for a while with well, him. I, I, but do you think it's a coincidence that uh, his wife, CR, his wife, was talking to Roger Goodell at the Super Bowl? She wasn't like just talking to him. She was uh, obviously going off about something. Did you did you, did you yeah. see that? Yeah. In yeah. her in in like the sunglasses and pink hair and the mask. Mm-hmm. Like, do we even know that that was Sierra for sure? I felt like that was some sort I, of I like. Guess, I mean, that could have been I anybody guess, underneath guess, the the wig and the sunglasses and the mask. That's fair. That is a good point. Um, it could. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't to be honest, I don't even think I could pick Sierra out of a lineup if she didn't have a mask on or, you know, or whatever. But who knows? Maybe Roger Goodell was telling Russell, "Oh, you need to." You need to you need to go in there and you need to shake you need to tell them you're not happy. Yeah. So we could get you to the Jets, get you in a real market. Did you see the uh, the <laughs> PFF tweeted this yesterday? It, it just as a Cowboys fan, I loved it. Uh, they put a hypothetical out there: the Eagles trading Carson Wentz to the Bears for Nick Foles. Apparently, I've seen that a lot. That would be um, perfection, man. Like. I would be awesome for Nick Foles to be on the Eagles for what a third time or a fourth. Is this a third or a fourth time? I don't, I, I don't even time. know. Yeah. It's at least a third time that he would end up back on the Eagles. Um, I mean, that's great news for Jalen hurts there. You know, if you're an OU fan, Alabama fan, or just yeah. like Jalen hurts, that's good for him because he's probably going to be penciled in as a starter for, you know, a while next season, as long as he doesn't blow it. But I, how is is Carson Wentz that much of an upgrade over Mitch Trubisky though? No, I I, I actually saw this the other day too. PFF put this out: career uh, quarterback rating for Mitch is like eighty seven point something, and for Wentz it's eighty nine point something. Yeah, I, like Trubisky is uh, Trubisky is what Trubisky is. He's he is a quarterback that can have some really good games and win some football games, and then he's going to be absolutely terrible. For, you know, a a stretch of like two or three games in a row. Maybe not three, but like a couple of games. He's just going to be very disappointing. He's going to miss a lot of throws. Sounds a lot like Carson Wentz. Yeah. Especially since the ACL and the back injuries. Carson Wentz is just, he can't, he can't string together like top tier games. Yeah. So, yeah. And you're going to have to give up draft. It's just not, I'm Chicago. I'm not doing that. Why would I do that? Just hang on to Mitch Trubisky for another year and just see what you can do. Go get Deshaun Watson. If you're going to give up first-round picks for Carson Wentz, why wouldn't you just give up, like, one or two more draft Agreed. picks and get Deshaun Watson? Agreed. And just not worry about it for the next 10 years. Yeah. I think the problem is Houston is just going to be too stubborn to actually agree to any deals, yeah. but why not try? Like, why not try and get – yeah. If you're any team out there, though, I mean, maybe Indy knows that it's just not worth the time to try and negotiate with Houston, but – if you're any team looking for a quarterback, why would you call for Carson Wentz or uh, even Matthew Stafford up to that point? Even though I think that I do like Matthew Stafford going to the Rams. I think that was a good trade. But why is Deshaun Watson not the first quarterback you're calling about if you're any team looking for a quarterback? Agreed. Agreed. I, the, Carson Wentz is forever going to just get some love because for a stretch in 2017, he was good. And like... I feel like at the end of when it's all said and done in, in pro football reference, they're going to have some sort of asterisk 
on the 2017 season and say, if he didn't get hurt, he might have been the MVP. And that's forever going to be like Carson Wentz's legacy. But, um, I mean, the guy just, the guy's been very average for multiple seasons now. I, I just, I, I think he is who he is. And, and holding on to this idea that the guy that you saw have a good stretch in 2017 is clearly not the quarterback that you're paying for in 2021 and going forward. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, I, I in, in the NFL, everybody makes adjustments. And as soon as people kind of figure you out, that's when we really figure out what type of player you are. There are tons of, and I say, this is why I always go off on this when we see like young quarterbacks in their first five, six, seven games, maybe even their first season have positive results. Because once the league gets film on you and figures out what you do well, what to take away and what to try and make, force you into, like that's when we really find out how good you are. And I, I remember us having this specific conversation about Daniel Jones when he played his first couple games. I'm like, hold on, let's, everybody relax. He, nobody, you know, everybody's trying to figure him out right now. Once somebody gets the blueprint, then we'll find out how good he is. And same thing with Carson Wentz. Like it, 2017 was a long time ago and we've never seen him really get to that level again. And I think people just know how to defend him. I, I, I agree. I think the injuries played a big part in Carson Wentz because there was a point in 2017 and even a little bit, you know, before that in his rookie year, and we've seen flashes of it since, where I, I thought he was one of the best quarterbacks at creating plays out of pressure. Like, I mean, how many? I, there were numerous plays where I thought, you know, you're like, this dude's going to get sacked, and he rolls yeah. out and breaks a couple of tackles and makes some yeah. amazing throw 30 yards downfield. But he just he that's fine and well if he can do that, but just consistently, like on the routine throws, he struggles too much. I mean. Right. How many passes do we see this year where he was throwing it 10 yards above the receiver's head? Yeah. But, uh, man, how how bad is that 2016 uh, quarterback class, though? Ooh, is uh, that the, I, that's the golf uh, Wentz class? Wentz class. Yeah. yeah, I've got it pulled. I've got the quarterbacks pulled up here. Let's uh, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, one and two, obviously. I would say both of those have been – have been bust. Although you could argue Carson Wentz is a Super Bowl champion, so that's that's worth. They they both. I mean, Jared Goff got to a Super Bowl too, but uh, one has been traded already, and the other one is about to be traded within five years of entering the league. So that's not yeah. a good sign. Uh, Paxton Lynch went twenty six. He's uh, I don't even know if he's in the league anymore. Christian Hackenberg was the next quarterback taken. Oh, uh, Jacoby Jacoby Brissett in the third round, who's been he's going to be a career backup. He's probably going back to New England. Uh, Cody Kessler oh, at the end of the third round. Yeah. Connor Cook. Uh, here's the saving grace in the fourth round. Dak Prescott, who I would say is by far the best quarterback out of this draft class. By a mile. Cardell, yeah. yeah. Cardell Jones went next. Kevin Hogan, Nate Sudfield, Jake Rudock, Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, and uh, Brandon Doughty, or Doughty out of Western Kentucky. Oof. It's got to be one of the worst quarterback classes ever. Yeah. Well, it, actually, I'm glad you... I was going to bring this up uh, maybe next week, uh, but I'll, I'll go ahead and do it now because I had this uh, I had this ready to go anyway. I was thinking about the first-round draft picks at the quarterback position, and obviously there are, what, five guys in this draft that potentially could be... Or six? There's, uh, Trevor Lawrence, mentioned. Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and then... I don't think Kyle Trask is going to be a first-round guy, but I've seen some people think that he might squeeze in late in the first round if somebody really needs a quarterback. So 
we'll just say six. So anyway, I started thinking like six guys, like what's the percentage that any of those guys or multiple guys become really good quarterbacks? So I, I pulled up the last 10 years of first round picks at the quarterback position. So this this will just be kind of a, a fun thing to go back and look at, at how crazy um, these things are. All right, so in 2011, there were five first-rounders, or I'm sorry, four first-rounders, starting with Cam Newton, still in the league, won an MVP, took his team to a Super Bowl. Uh, but then the other first-rounders were Jake Locker, didn't last long. Uh, Blaine Gabbert, who just won a Super Bowl, so that's a home run pick. He's the uh, he's the backup in Tampa. And uh, Josh Rosen also won a Super Bowl. Tom Brady's just getting everybody Super Bowls. Who also won one? Josh Rosen. I think he was on their practice squad. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think so. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, then we, then you got Blaine Gabbert and Christian Ponder. So, um, so Cam Newton obviously was a success, but Locker, Gabbert, and Ponder, complete misses. To be fair, though, I didn't look at any of those three quarterbacks in college and say, these are good quarterbacks. No. These are quarterbacks that I would build an NFL team around. No. I, yeah, I, Gabbert and Ponder for sure. I was, uh, I was in the camp that was curious about Jake Locker because of his skill set, but I, I, I didn't he think was he was super a, athletic. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't think he was like a franchise can't miss guy, but I was, I was very intrigued by the skill set. But yeah, those other two guys, zero chance. All right, so 2012, we had Andrew Luck number one. Obviously, that was a home run pick. He was really good. Uh, Robert Griffin went number two. Good for a year, injury, and then just never, never rebound. Uh, Ryan Tannehill actually was a guy that I, I uh, was not high on whatsoever, and that one turned you out to be better than a lot of these. He'd only played quarterback for two years. Yeah. I mean, how could you be high on him? And he, and just, like, I don't know. I, I just never thought he looked great. But well, his, his, mechanic, I, his mechanics were awkward. and Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you could argue that that pick would have been a bust if he doesn't go to Tennessee and just completely revitalize yeah. his career. Yeah. Agreed. He had, what, one or two good years in Miami and then just got overpaid and sucked. Mm-hmm. And then Brandon Whedon was also in that draft. Uh, obviously, that didn't work out for Cleveland. 2013 had uh, EJ Manuel as the only first-round pick. 2014, Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, and Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater became a, a starter, but, you know, not... His, I- He's just yeah, an average I mean, starter. Like there's, it's nothing. Yeah, I mean, the only thing working in his favor there is he was the last pick of the first round. So yeah, it's not at least he wasn't a top five pick, and then turned out to be you know just like a right. middle of the pack right. starter. So then we get to 2015. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota both go one and two, and I mean neither one of those guys are starters now. That's how quickly that happened. Well, Jameis is going to be a starter. Is he for sure? I think. Uh, if it's between him and Taysom Hill, I don't know why he wouldn't be the starter next year in New Orleans. I don't know. We'll see. I don't, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's a no brainer. That's all I'm saying. I could see them going Taysom Hill. All right. Well, 2016, then. you mentioned it. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Paxton Lynch were the first rounders. This is by Whoa. far the best one, and the the Bears really screwed it up. But Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson in twenty seventeen. Twenty eighteen. Yeah, I mean you're good. Oh, go ahead. 
I was just saying you can't you can't go wrong with two All Pro quarterbacks, right? Uh, in the middle of that round, that draft, first round. Yeah, 2018 Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, and Lamar Jackson. Uh, this one is starting to look pretty good. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson's already an MVP. Uh, Josh Allen looks like he's you know among the premier quarterbacks in the league, and Baker Mayfield is is. Uh, well, I don't think he's like an elite guy. I, I think we're seeing improvement there. And, you know, obviously the Browns were in the playoffs this year. So I don't think Sam Darnold's bad either. I think, I don't think, I think it's time to move on from the, we don't really know what Sam Darnold is because you play, I think, I think Sam Darnold, we know what Sam Darnold is. He's, he's going to be like the 14th to 16th best quarterback in the league, potentially if he plays on a, a decent team, but like, he's not bad. Yeah. I, I don't think Sam Darnold's bad by any means. I think he's just a, decent quarterback I think it's fair to say that there's more there than what we've seen simply because of the Jets like I mean put anybody else in that situation I don't know that it's drastically better but at the same time he has limitations yeah exactly I don't think he's if he is better I don't think it's gonna be like he goes to another team and he goes from Ryan Tannehill (laughs) to Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee right and then okay 2019 we have Kyler Murray Daniel Jones, who I I don't know, average. I think I, okay. like if the Giants yeah. moved on from him, I don't think anybody would even question it. And and it's been a year. And then Dwayne Haskins didn't even. I mean, he's not even in Washington anymore. Uh, and then obviously this class, uh, we had Burrow, Tua, Herbert, and Jordan Love. I don't know anything about Jordan Love. I know he's uh sitting in that room with the MVP, but. I mean, Joe Burrow was amazing before he got hurt, and Justin Herbert's really damn good. Yeah. Tua, we'll see. Dude, that's a lot of misses. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, that's, we saw it a lot more early in the decade of teams reaching for quarterbacks. Um, I think that, I think Lincoln and Riley's definitely helped a little bit with these quarterbacks coming into the NFL because uh, we've gotten two first number one picks that have been, they haven't been bust at the very least right. yet, and I don't think they will be. But I think that you know teams have probably gotten better at evaluating quarterbacks. Yeah, um, I think the quarterback, I think the talent level at, 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 at college has gotten better just because. I mean, there's a big difference between you know being born in 1993 and being a quarterback, knowing and going to all the camps and stuff, and just and then being born in like 2000, like Justin Herbert and a lot of these dudes now are like, they're just growing up. Like football has changed so much and they're more prepared. I think it's more consistent from high school to the NFL. Like the way that the offenses are going to run now, the spread, spread offenses at every level. So I think the transition is a little bit easier. You're not seeing, uh, you know, Jake Locker going from a spread offense in Washington where he's taking every snap under from shotgun to playing under center in Tennessee, handing the ball to Chris Johnson a bunch. It's just, I think it's a little bit easier to hit on a quarterback now. I mean, we've yeah. seen it. How many good quarterbacks are there? There's t- at least 20 teams that have a good quarterback right now in the NFL. So yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends on on how you want to classify good. Uh, so they're not desperately seeking somebody else, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, cause like, you know, we just went over that list and I was just going to say like 2015 and 2016, just in the last five years, like you had back to back drafts where the number one and number two overall picks were quarterbacks with 
Winston and Mariota, followed a year later by Goff and Wentz. And, like, at best, those you know, the best one of those guys is, like, an average quarterback. Mariota's not even a yeah. starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. And, and you know, I'm not saying he, he couldn't go somewhere else and maybe become better than he is now, but... At the, at the present moment, he's not a starting NFL quarterback. And then Jameis Winston, Carson Wentz, and Jared Goff, like, I don't know. I, like, I, I think with, uh, with Goff, like, if, if you have the right system and you don't have to rely on him to lead you, maybe you can get it done. But, I mean, I don't look at any of those guys as elite quarterbacks. I look at all those guys as needing a lot around them for them to have success. All those guys are completely replaceable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell, 75% of them have been replaced. And the and the only one that hasn't yet is they're desperately looking to replace him. Right. Hell, hell I guess you could say Carson Wentz has already been replaced because he got benched last year for Jalen Hurts. For Jalen Hurts. Yeah. yeah. And technically the other dude that's played in that Week 17 game. I don't even remember who it was at this point. Was it yeah. Nate Sutfeld? But I think, I think the 2015 class was a little bit... I think that's a little more excusable because what James Wentz's biggest issue as an NFL quarterback is he just can't stop throwing interceptions. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that wasn't really as big of an issue at Florida State. I don't, I don't remember him playing at Florida State and him protecting the ball being a big problem. I know he had a bad game in that Rose Bowl against Oregon that, you know, against Marcus Mariota, where the, it was the last game of his career where he had yeah. a, he turned the ball over I mean, quite that, a bit. That was but, just, yeah, that was just a complete ass-kicking by Oregon. So. Yeah. But up to that, I don't remember turnovers being an issue, and I thought he was, it, without a doubt, the number one pick in that draft. Agreed. I agree. He made a bunch and, of NFL and, throws. Um, you know, I know that second year, because he the, the the his first year he won the Heisman and they won the national title. I know that second year, the team as a whole looked lethargic. And, you know, I think Deshaun Watson got some of this in his last year at Clemson, right? Clemson got to the national title game. Uh, the year before, and there was just like this element of they were just so much better than everybody that like they could win on just talent alone. And so I think a lot of people felt like Deshaun Watson also was uh, was not as sharp as he should have been that last season. That's why he didn't win the Heisman, right? That Like people were questioning the yeah. turnover situation. Uh, I think Jameis Winston somewhat fits that mold as well. I, I don't think he was as sharp. The team as a whole wasn't as sharp. But we, just, we still saw the dude just make a ton of NFL-type throws. You knew the arm was big. You know, the bottom line is, it, a lot of times in college, especially at a place like Florida State when you're that good, or at Clemson when you're that good, you're not put in situations where you're going to have a lot of pressure uh, as far as a pass rush. And when things speed up, you know, that's that's Jameis Winston's thing. Like, when when things speed up... He doesn't make good decisions, and and yeah. he he takes too many risks against great athletes that can you know yeah. close that distance too fast. And uh, you know I still think like he has ability, but you know clearly the speed of the game at the next level has prevented him from making the the smart choices consistently. I mean, we saw this. Think about it. I mean, we we saw with the Tampa Bay team this year. If the quarterback reduces the interceptions. I think Tom Brady threw like nine this year, eight or nine through the regular season, how good that team could be. Because they really weren't that different from last year to this year. I mean, they added Antonio Brown late. They added Leonard Fournette and and Gronk. But 
other than that, like it was pretty much the same team and they won the Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, I, I I think that uh, going back to that 2015 class real quick, I think, like you said, Winston was for sure the number one pick in that draft. Yeah. I thought Mariota was, I, I, I thought Mariota was fine at two. I think he was a little bit more of a project. Um, just coming into the NFL and just playing the offense that they ran at Oregon, it, it had not translated yet up to that point with any Oregon quarterbacks. Are really, I mean, there really wasn't any Oregon offensive players that had translated to the NFL up to that right, point. Right. So I was very skeptical, but I, I mean, Tennessee was terrible the year before. They were starting. I don't even remember who they were starting a quarterback at that point. I'm sure Jake Locker was done by then. But oh yeah, he was long gone by then. Uh, yeah. Who was it? I can't even remember. It was a hodgepodge of dudes, I'm sure. Um, pull it up. The Titans. I'm, Vince Young was way gone, right? Yeah, Locker was after Young. I don't even know. I guess I need to look at the 2014 Titans. Uh, it was... Their quarterbacks were Zach Mettenberger, oh. Jordan Palmer, and Charlie yeah. Whitehurst. Yeah. I was going to say Whitehurst, but I, I didn't think he was still around by then. So, but yeah. But more Charlie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mettenberger, <laughs> uh, good Lord. I, I remember so. having I a long they... conversation with Desmond Howard about Marcus Mariota uh, at the media day before Oregon played Ohio State in the national championship, and we were talking about Mariota at the next level, and we were like having the, do you take Winston or Mariota conversation, and you know we were in the same camp. Desmond Howard, though, was completely out on Mariota. And, you know, I, I still like the pick at two because I think when you looked at the direction that offenses were, were headed, headed toward in the NFL, like we're seeing it now more than five years ago, but they were starting to make that transition five years ago. Mariota seemed like the perfect pick. I just don't think he was, put, he was on the right team that had fully made that transition to take advantage of his skill set. And again, I, I don't think he's a lost cause simply because he is an accurate quarterback and I, I think he can run a, you know, hurry up, spread offense, let your quarterback get out of the pocket type of, of system at a at a decent level. I, I don't think he's ever going to be elite, but I don't know. I, I, I still think that Marcus Mariota in the right situation could be, a, could I mean, he could be Jameis Winston or just, you know, like a... I think he could be an average quarterback is all I'm saying. Right. And I mean, in, in Tennessee's defense, there was only seven quarterbacks taken that draft. There wasn't one take. There was it, 73 picks after Mariota before another quarterback was taken. It was Garrett Grayson. Yeah. And then Sean Mannion, Bryce Petty, and Brett Hundley were the other quarterbacks. And Trevor Simeon were the other quarterbacks taken the draft. So by no means did, was Mariota the wrong pick there. And they were bad. They needed a quarterback. They can't. Yeah. Zach Mettenberger wasn't going to do anything for them, yeah. but... And don't forget, I mean, Mariota came into the league, and he was amazing. Like, his first game, he had, like, 300 yards and four touchdowns on, like, 26 to 28 passing or something like that. Like, he was really good for the first, like, month to month and a half of the season. And then, obviously, he played out. And he, teams know, ad teams adjust. They, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, but I, I, while we're talking about draft classes— this draft class that we the 2020 first round draft first round of that draft class I'm 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 jumping the gun here. I, you know, I know we just talked about you know teams figuring these dudes out and you know adjusting and you know not jumping the gun, but that this first round class was stacked. 
like a lot of teams hit home runs. Burrow at one. Yeah. Chase Young at two. Uh, Herbert at six. I'm not going to add Tua because it's still up in the air, but he he wasn't bad by any means. Right. Uh, Mackay Becton was good at, in the jet with the Jets. Wer- Tristan Wirfs in Tampa Bay was a difference maker. Rugs, all the receivers were good. Yep. Rugs, Judy, Lee, Jefferson, Ayuk, all in the first round, all like immediate difference makers. Uh, Jalen Rager maybe. Well, TBD. He didn't really play much this year, but I mean, I'm looking at it and like half of the first round picks like were really good in the rookie year. It's Clyde Edwards. Clyde Edwards is a lair at the end of the first round. Patrick Queen in Baltimore was good. Hell, Kenneth Murray was like Kenneth Murray was pretty decent this year in in, in L.A. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty damn good draft class this year. Second round, well, I mean, it's not like there was a lot of drop in the second round either. Yeah, I, I like I'm looking at it now. Uh, yeah, I mean the the quarterbacks obviously Burrow and and uh, Herbert you have to be thrilled about. Um, I know there are a lot of differing opinions on Tua. I I I just I I don't even think you can really decide anything Can't based it, yeah. on on what Miami did this year, and and their their system. Uh, so the jury's still out there. But like Chase Young obviously was terrific. Um, I I think the Panthers really like what they saw from Derek Brown. He was um, good, yeah. Yeah, uh, Javon Kinlaw I, I thought was another guy that uh, the the 49ers really like the potential of. Uh, you mentioned some of the offensive linemen. I mean, Jedrick Wills started for the Browns all year and solidified their left tackle position. Mekhi Becton was, uh, I, I think PFF graded him as like the highest left tackle as a rookie in like a long time. I don't even remember the specific stat, but um, they they kind of found a, a franchise left tackle with their pick. Uh, all the receivers you mentioned, Ayuk, Justin Jefferson was... Was he like second team All Pro maybe, or am I am I crazy? Uh, I think, anyway, he, he was, was he was great. Yeah, second team All Pro. Yeah, second team All As Pro. As a rookie, yeah, rookie. Yeah, <laughs> um, crazy. Yeah, CD Lamb in was, a league that's lo- in a league that's loaded with receivers. Yes, by the way, yeah, yeah. CD Lamb was great. Uh, you know, obviously considering the situation there, uh, Jerry Judy yeah. made big plays again. The Broncos' quarterback situation's a, a disaster, but. Uh, you know, Ruggs made big plays this year. I didn't I didn't really see C.J. Henderson, a guy that I was really big on out of Florida. Uh, I, I don't really remember. Well, first of all, I don't, I don't good, know actually. how many Jaguars games I watched this year, but I don't. He was, I remember he was good earlier in the year. Like, I remember people talking about him kind of like already flashing like within the first month of the season. And I think yeah. the, his time kind of went 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 along. I don't know if teams just kind of started avoiding him a little bit more. So he kind of just drifted off into the, uh, as an afterthought because he played on Jacksonville, but he was good early for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was loaded, man. This was a really good draft class. Look at the second round. The second round is just as stacked as the first round. Yeah. T Higgins. Michael Pittman is a, a player for the Colts. DeAndre Swift had fly. I mean, if if Patricia in that offense could have just utilized him how they yeah. should have been and not been giving the ball to you know forty year old Adrian Peterson twenty times a game, but I think he's potentially good. Jonathan Taylor was bad early, but like down the stretch he was. I mean, he basically Real carried good, Indianapolis yeah. into the playoffs. Yeah. Anton Winfield was really good in Tampa Bay as a rookie mm-hmm. to play. I mean, he was. 
he was really good in the Super Bowl and throughout the playoffs, like a difference maker. Um, Chase Claypool, yeah, I, Cam Akers, yeah. J.K. Dobbins. Yeah. I think... Th- no, I mean... I don't think this draft class coming up has as much high-end talent as as the one that just passed, but man, I think it's really deep. I yeah, I I think there's potential. I think that this class is a little bit harder to grade to going into the draft because the season was just so bizarre this year. Yeah, that like some dudes only played four games. Some some guys opted out. Like uh, I'm this name's slipping my mind. The kid, the receiver out of LSU, uh, Jamar, Jamar Jefferson. Jamar Chase, Chase yeah. Jamar Jefferson, yeah, Justin Jefferson played, yeah, got him mixed up. Uh, yeah, he opted out, so like we're basing his entire, you know, tape going into the season of, from last year, basically. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, there's there's no dudes at the top of the draft. Like, there's no Chase Young. There's no defensive guys that you you see at the top of this draft, and you're thinking. Wow, would it be a mistake not to take that guy number one? Or like, is he going to be an immediate difference maker on the defensive end? Really, it's we know who the number one pick is going to be, and then after that, I think that I, I think it's a total crapshoot. Like, I think I don't think there's a for sure two guy. I don't think there's a for sure three guy. I mean, right. personally, if I was the Jets, I would take Justin Fields if I'm not bringing in Deshaun Watson. But you know. I could see them taking a tackle. I could see them taking Zach Wilson. I could see them taking Justin Fields. I could see them trade. Like, is it going to be a? I think it's going to be a fun draft because there's just there's no way to know what's going to happen. Last year's draft, we knew who the first, what, at least two guys were. I mean, I don't think anybody would have expected the Lions to take Jeff Akuda at three, but yeah, that was that was expected. Really? Yeah. Well, it worked out for him. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think where most people felt like the draft last year started was four with the Giants, and it wasn't even necessarily where they were going to go. It was just which guy. Like, everybody thought they were going to take a tackle, but it was, you know, were they going to go Andrew Thomas or Jedrick Wills or uh, Becton? I mean, that was was the main conversation there. But everybody knew it was going to be tackle. Um, There's – the crazy thing about this draft – is there's not, like, I always have guys, like Devin White was a guy that I absolutely loved coming out of LSU. Uh, Roquan Smith was a guy I loved coming out of Georgia. Uh, Quinnen Williams out of Alabama. Derwin James, you know, out of, like, there are always, like, these guys that I just, I I think are just surefire future, you know, pro perennial Pro Bowl caliber guy. And with this class, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have... At least as of now, I, I don't feel like there are many of those dudes. Who okay? Like that's why I, I think like trying, there's just not a big separation to me from like you know obviously the quarterbacks are a different conversation, but from like the top ten to making a second round pick, I just don't think you need a reach because I, I just think it's it's a deep class and you can find quality players at almost every position, but I, I, there's, there's, there's not like a Devin white to me. Uh, Derek Stingley, he still has some time. At yeah. LSU, he has right? another year at LSU. Yeah. I just remember, I, I didn't watch the LSU this past year. Did he play? Yeah. He missed, uh, he missed a couple games early and then I think he also had some injury issues, but yeah, he did play. I just remember, 
I remember, I don't remember what game it was. It was early in the season, but there was an NFL scout at one of the OU games, and he was talking to to you or us, or I don't remember who it was, yeah. but I remember him telling somebody that that Stingley kid at, at LSU was the best like defensive prospect he's ever seen. Yeah. And yeah, so I was just curious if yeah, he was. Yeah, uh, he's, uh, he'll be a first round pick next year, for sure. Yeah. 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 He's coming out because he'll be a junior, right? Yeah. He'll be a junior next year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's um, I don't know. I, it, I'm I'm really curious what the Cowboys are going to do at ten. I, I think given where things are right now, it kind of looks like it's probably Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan at corner. Because I just I, I think that uh, I don't know. It's 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 a weird thing because Cowboys have been really good at going just best player available rather than need. Uh, and when you they did look it last at, year, yeah. When you look at uh, this board, like I don't, I, it just doesn't make any sense to reach for anything specific because again, there's just not like, there's not to me like a Quinn and Williams that I I just believe is a can't miss. You have to go draft him. So if your need is defensive line, like that, like I think the Cowboys desperately need interior defensive line help. The top interior defensive lineman in this draft is probably Christian Barmore out of Alabama. And in most mock drafts, Aaron, I see him going in the 20s. Yeah, I'm looking at a big board right now. He's at 20. Yeah, there's not a lot of interior linemen yeah. at the top of this draft, like you said. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of edge guys up there that they could potentially go after but i'm not yeah i'm not seeing any yeah. interior guys what about offensive line yeah i mean, I, mean I, I don't old. think that'd be a bad pick at all like it's it, especially again especially because at 10 there's not like they're they're just this draft isn't full of guys that i think are can't miss guys so they need offensive line help if if the best player available on their board is rashawn slater or I, I Sewell's obviously not going to be available at 10, but if Sewell happened to slip, then that's a no brainer. But even like Rashawn Slater or maybe Christian Derisaw, um, you know, even if, if they grade Elijah Tucker Vera out of, out of USC really high, um, I, I don't even think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like games are won in the trenches. Right. I mean, and, and that offensive line is, I mean, Tyron Smith, I wouldn't be surprised if Tyron Smith retired this summer, honestly, just because of the injuries. But I mean, he's even if he doesn't, I mean, he's got what a couple of years left at most. Yeah, yeah. You have to start thinking about your left tackle situation. Lyle Collins didn't even play last year. Um, you know, we'll see how that works out. Obviously, you know, Travis Frederick retired before last season. It's just, it, you know, they. I think people just kind of took it for granted that that the Cowboys had a quote good offensive line and. It's just not the same group it was when when uh, Zeke came into the league and they just dominated running the football. Yeah, I mean, right now you they've got one guy right that you could trust game to game. Yeah, yeah, Zach Martin. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, uh, offensive let's... line isn't isn't. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be upset with that at all. I think interior defensive lineman is the top need for the Cowboys. Like I I, I think that you have to address that this offseason. I just don't know that you have to address it at number 10 because I, I don't know that there is that guaranteed guy there. And I think you're you're reaching if you take somebody there as opposed to maybe still being able to, to address that in the second round with a guy that potentially is still available. I mean, like, I love Davion Nixon out of Iowa. 
To me, he's the best interior defensive lineman in this draft. I I think he's upper half of the first round caliber. But like I I see all these mock drafts and all these big board rankings where you know he's lower part of the first round or second round pick, and I'm like, perfect. Yeah, if I'm trying to remember, I I I rem- I vaguely remember like Davion Nixon being a top ten pick in the mock drafts before the season started. So. Yeah, I mean, if he was up there, the talent's still there. And if they want to wait, and they all, there's some in-state offensive linemen in, that they could get in the second round, too, if they wait yeah. on the offense. And the, they, I mean, Creed Humphrey and Tevin Jenkins are, should both be around yeah. when they pick in the second round. Uh, let me see I, when... Well, I, both see of those I, guys are potential first-rounders. Yeah, I mean, they could for sure sneak out. I mean, teams yeah. get desperate for offensive linemen. Uh, let's see who I think the Texans should draft with their first-round pick. Oh, mm. wait. <laughs> Oh, okay. What about their second round pick? Oh, okay. All right. Uh, let's see who's on the about a, a number one hundred on the big board to be available on their first pick of the draft. Oh, okay. Yeah, they could get Chuba Hubbard. There you go. Oh, okay. Nice. Hubbard yeah. The third round. Well, I mean, they they've shown that they really value running backs. So. Right. They yeah. They just traded the best receiver in the NFL for one. So. Yeah. Great pick. I mean, hey, he did have a good year five years ago. So, you know, why not give up a all-pro receiver for Ouch. for that running back? Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, how are you doing with basketball season? Uh, I'll be honest. I was a little bit more checked in like three weeks ago. Yeah. And then the playoffs started rolling, and I've checked back out a little bit, but... I mean, I'm keeping up with it. I just haven't been watching any games. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm, give me a week. I'll probably be full in. Need a, I need a recovery week from uh, football season and then right. jump into watching some NBA. I'm definitely not watching college basketball, although uh, Duke having a losing record is pretty awesome. Dude, how about the you fact know. that uh, – so the Blue Bloods of college basketball, Kentucky – Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, right? Like, right. Consensus, I think those are the the blue bloods of the sport. None of those teams are ranked right now. It's awesome. I hate all of those teams. I don't even like college basketball anymore. But I hate all of those teams. I definitely hated them when I when I loved college basketball. Baylor seventeen and zero. Baylor's really good. They're really good. Oklahoma's been pl- Oklahoma's been playing pretty damn good too. I mean, they had what. Four wins against was a top ten or top yeah. fifteen opponents in a month. Yeah. If there was ever a time for you to watch college basketball, I would just say the Big Twelve is by far the best conference in the country. Like they are, like basically every night, I think you get a, a legit matchup. Yeah, I mean, I, I I saw Chris Beard losing uh, losing his mind last night. In, I didn't uh, see that. That loss to West Virginia. Oh, you should watch it. It's pretty funny. He's like throwing himself on the floor and everything. It's uh, it's pretty entertaining. And meanwhile, uh. Yeah, they, I think they end up losing that game by five points or something like that. But yeah, Tech's good, Baylor's good, OU's good, Texas is good. I mean, Kansas is unranked. Good. If that tells you anything, this and somehow I feel like they're still going to win the Big Twelve. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are. Uh, yikes. Okay, so we have the AP top twenty-five has Baylor at two, seventeen and zero. Tech at seven. Uh, Oklahoma twelve. Texas 13, West Virginia 14, Oklahoma State 23, and then 
Kansas received votes, but uh, are currently unranked. So how did, did you did you see the uh, how do you feel about Bill Self criticizing the uh, Kansas students for calling Kate Cunningham overrated? Because I thought that was pretty awesome. I think yeah, I thought it was funny. Um, I mean, obviously he's not, but yeah. I, well, and I think it's also one of those things where Bill Self is like, look, we're not Kansas, right? Like. Kansas right, right now is, I think, considered overrated. So, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, do not be throwing stones right now because we're in a glass house. Right. And it's not even like Kate Cunningham was bad that game. He had like 26 points. Did he have 26? Something like that. He had, yeah, at least 25, I'm pretty sure. Okay. And he was getting the overrated chance. But, you know, I've been around some KU fans and... I'm not going to say that they're the easiest fans to be around. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I feel like they are, they're like OU football fans where they either are just so in love with their team that they're delusional of any shortcomings or they expect to win a they championship exactly. every year and anything short of that is like a, a complete dumpster fire. I just remember going to a Chiefs game. Uh, it was probably eight years ago, but we were standing in line waiting to get in the stadium, and there was just there was this girl right behind me who just kept screaming "Rock Chalk Jayhawk" Ugh. in my ear for twenty minutes. And I don't even know why. I thought I wasn't wearing like an OU shirt or anything. I was just she was just she just felt like screaming "Rock Chalk Jayhawk" for twenty minutes, and just. This really soured me on KU fans. Yeah. Just that one experience. Yeah. I've had other experiences too, but that one experience definitely was just like, uh, we're, it's not even, it's we're not a football game. We're not even at a Kansas sporting event. Yeah. Allen Fieldhouse is I, it, bucket list for me. Bucket list. Like it has, to, I, I've been there one time uh, and it was Kansas and Oklahoma State were both top 10 teams. And this was when Marcus Smart was there. And uh, that place, like I drove up that morning, the the line the, to get into Allen Fieldhouse like three hours before the game was like a mile long. It was insane. And then like they, they let the students in about an hour before tip-off or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But I, I just remember sitting in my, my media seat and looking at the clock and it was an hour before tip and the student section is packed. I mean, you can't literally fit another person into this area. And for an hour straight before tip-off, you like it was so loud that you couldn't hear the person next to you talking. It's crazy. Like as much as I bitch about college basketball, if I had to make a bucket list of like arenas or like games that I want to attend, like there'd probably be like three college basketball yeah. arenas yeah. on there. Like it's I will like it it, it isn't uh like the the environments that you get in college basketball to me are one thing that like I do love about college basketball. It's just too bad everything that happens on the court now for the most part yeah. kind of sucks. Well, and, but, and part of the problem is like you don't – Allen Fieldhouse is like literally one of the best sporting events. I Like I've never experienced anything like that, not even at a football stadium. But you don't get that everywhere. Like that's very, very right. unique. So I've if, been – yeah, I've – I've been to 
UT games at the Frank Irwin Center, and it was one of the worst environments for a sporting event yes. I've ever been in. Yeah. Like that, it's just, it's way too big for college basketball. They don't sell out. Like, the, they're UT fans. They don't care that much. They're just kind of like fair-weather fans. Yeah. So it was terrible. And I've, I've been to, like, middle of the pack college. Like, I think Lloyd Noble is kind of just like, it, it could be a pretty decent environment, but mm. it could also be a terrible environment. Like, I remember going to games when Buddy Hield was there, and they made it that during that Final Four run year. Like, some of those crowds were pretty good. Like, yeah. I remember going to the KU game that year and like it was a good crowd it was fun but then i went to games two years later and it was there were five thousand people in the arena and it was terrible it was right dead quiet and then yeah and then then there's obviously the like the peak of like cameron indoor like allen field house like environments that there's probably no other sport that could match yeah what you're gonna get in those environments and i think i think i had there was probably one nba game where i was at that game or left that game thinking wow like that's that was an unreal environment, and it was the KD the game the first game KD played back in Oklahoma City. Oh yeah, yeah. I think the, as far as regular season games, that's the only time I think in in that I can remember at least where not saying that there haven't been moments, but where for an entire game you just felt like the crowd was supercharged yeah, just, from the opening tip until the the, the end. And I, I started covering the team after they made the Western Conference Finals. Like, the, I started working at the station, interning at the station, the year that they played Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. And then the next year, I started covering the team. Yeah. So, I didn't even get to see them win, like, two playoff games oh, in one yeah. year. Yeah. So, I yeah. So, that KD returning, like, it was, that environment was yeah unreal. I mean, I never got good playoff atmosphere when I was covering the team, those but. Warriors matchups were good, and the Grizzlies matchups, I always felt like were that was when the peak was at its best. Was like the Grizzlies postseason matchups, in my opinion. Now, I also wasn't there for the NBA Finals, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know how it was when the Heat were in town for the Finals, but uh, I've been to. I mean, during the Durant era, I think I was probably at at, le- at at least one home game for every postseason series. And I think the Grizzlies were all like, the, I, I don't know, just something about the, the seems like a natural rival. Yeah. The grind, the grind of the Grizzlies just kind of, I think brought, brought out like the, the blue collar, like let's get in a fist fight type of mentality from the fan base. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. You would think that, uh, yeah, I definitely think that was grit and grind Grizzlies are, yeah. was like a team that like Oklahomans could like, hate but also respect yes yeah yeah like that yeah it's not like the glitz and glamour of like the lakers or the warriors like it's pretty oklahoma like mentality you can identify with you know the way that their style and the way they're they're getting it done right. yeah for sure and also help the oklahoma city probably beat them too yes <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah probably probably helped not you know completely hate them yeah except for the year was it uh when Russ got hurt in the first round, the Beverly year, and then they lost to the Grizzlies in the was it the Grizzlies? I think in the second round. Uh, sounds right, and the Grizzlies would have played the Spurs in the Western Conference Finals, if I remember correctly. I think that's right. Yeah. I, I man, I, I to be honest, I get all the years sometimes mixed up as far as who played who and what round. There's just so there's so many but, playoff teams. Yeah, it's hard to keep. It's easy to keep up with the finals or like the conference finals but like the first round there's 16 yeah, it's teams tough it's more than half the league yeah i can't remember what uh, year what happened but. yeah yeah it was the year that uh, russ got hurt 
in the first round against Houston. They lost four to one in, to Memphis in the uh, the second round, and then Memphis got swept by San Antonio, and then San Antonio lost in seven to Miami. There you go. All right. Maybe um, in about ten years we'll get some good good crowds at the peak again. Well, it's got to be after what, like twenty twenty six? Is that when we've started really paying off all the draft picks? Yeah, I mean, I guess you're really banking on Kay Cunningham this year. They're kind of screwing that uh, up, aren't they? Like, yeah, they're not. They're definitely not making it easy on themselves. They can make a run though. Yeah. They could get things in gear and make a run and lose twenty straight. Yeah, I, uh, I'll tell you the guy I really like. And I've only seen him play a few times, but every time I've watched him, I, he's just fantastic. Uh, Jalen Suggs out of uh, Gonzaga, freshman point guard. Uh, he was a he's he's their first five star commit ever, and he's a he's a point guard. He's like six four. He's really good, just really good. I'll uh, I'll check him out. I haven't yeah. watched uh, any Gonzaga this year. I know they're really good. I know they're undefeated, yeah. but. Them and uh, they were supposed to play Baylor in the non-conference. I was really excited about that matchup, and because I think those are by far the best two teams. Like it's just when you watch them, and I know they're both undefeated, and record says they're the best. But I think just in terms of like watching them play, like they just mm-hmm. look like they're on a completely different level consistently. Like it's yeah, yeah. I might start. I guess I guess I'll start. I might have to check some Big Twelve basketball out and maybe some Gonzaga. Yeah, see if I can watch. I'm not going to commit to watching a full game, but I might watch 10 minutes. Well, no, I, 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 uh, <laughs> I think I've watched Baylor play a full game once this year. And I, I watched Gonzaga play a full game once this year. And other than that, I just, you know, I've, I've peaked, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I think I'm just going to peak. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm to be honest with I've not even watched a full NBA game this year, not a single game from start to finish in the NBA this year. I, I think I've watched maybe two or three. Spring training's about to start. Like, I mean, yeah. get, come on. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm college basketball. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to get the NBA bug. I'm trying to, like, push myself it, I, there, but yeah. Yeah. I, I like the NBA a lot. It, it is, it, I don't know. I, no, there, no fans in the arena takes me out of it a yeah. little bit. Football, football translated well, oddly enough, to, like, not having fans. Basketball, I always I end know, up liking but... the NBA. It just takes, I mean, it's, it's always post all-star break. And then I start like really getting into it, but yeah, I'll get there. Like, I know I'll get there. Like, and, and when right. it's like, when we get to the, you know, the regular season stretch and the playoffs start, like I'll be completely geeked about it. But yeah, it, it just, yeah. uh, takes time. It's yeah. There's a, uh, there's just been a lot of games too. Like we're, like the the guys we want to see, like the star players, just aren't playing. Whether it's from COVID, like you know R and R, like yeah. EMPs, like there's just a lot of games. You're just not getting like top in quality product right now yeah. from the NBA. Actually, you know what? I have watched one entire game. I watched uh, the Nets Cavs game. I think I think that was the first night that the three guys were all playing together. For, yeah. and, and Colin Sexton was the best player in the NBA that night. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and that was an overtime game too. So the one the one game that I've watched from start to finish this year was also an overtime game. So well, there you go. Yeah, picking good ones. Yeah, there you go. All right, man. We'll catch up next week. All right, see you. See you, buddy.
Aaron Davis joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. I am a customer at Artisan Botanicals, and I can just tell you they are great people that are dedicated to helping you live a better life. So if you have any questions whatsoever, don't hesitate to give them a call, 405-458-9699. Not to mention, we're saving you 15% off your online order right now. Simply go to abotanicalcompany.com, place your order, use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code ColbyShow for 15% off your online order, plus easy and safe pickup at their location. They have a drive-through, so it's a very simple process, but I'm super excited that we're able to save you 15% right now at abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.